Our scripture reading today is Psalm 15, a psalm of David. Hear now the word of the Lord. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Those who walk blamelessly and do what is right and speak the truth from their heart, who do not slander with their tongue and do no evil to their friends nor take up a reproach against their neighbors, in whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord, who stand by their oath even to their hurt, who do not lend money at interest, and who do not take a bribe against the innocent. Those who do these things shall never be moved. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, today as we gather to remember, to worship, to pray, to meditate, to think, to learn, to support one another, we ask that you will take the words that I will say and through your spirit make them into your word that your people may be edified and equipped to serve you in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Two summers ago, when Maggie and I were on the remote island in Maine, where we have often vacationed, we went to the Museum of the Island's History, located down the street from the island's one store, and next to one of its several cemeteries. The museum had recently moved to a Methodist church, which had been closed a few years before, and had been donated to the island for its museum. The building was in terrible disrepair. The floor of what used to be the sanctuary was sloped and in need of propping up from underneath. Buckets capturing rainwater from the leaky roof were placed among the displays and memorabilia. An older volunteer showed us around and she pointed out that many of the displays were honoring people who had grown up on the island and served in the military. Some having lost their lives in World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, or the war in Afghanistan. We are very proud of our young people who serve this nation, she said. As we have come to know the people on that island over the years, our sense is that for many who were born and reared there, the only period of their lives in which they leave the island for a significant amount of time is if and when they have served in the military. Then they return home to the island's only industry of lobster fishing. When you hear them speak of their time in the service, they speak with a sense of pride and honor and even wistfulness. They are glad to be back on the island. They are glad to have survived. And they remember those who didn't. In my experiences and observations of being a minister over the last four decades and simply being a citizen in our nation, One of the sadder aspects of my observations is the sense that while there are heroic and admirable people in all walks of life, 
of all ages, of all racial and religious backgrounds, there seems to have been a slow and steady deterioration of honor, of ethics, of standards of speech and integrity, of common courtesy, of what we used to call civility. Perhaps most of all, again with heroic exceptions, I have sensed a deterioration of the willingness of far too many of us to put the group or institution, or better yet, even the nation in which we live, above our own individual wants and needs, our desires or ambitions, our angers or our begrudgments. In far too many places and levels of our society, we seem to have lost a common code of honor by which most of us seek to live. Whatever such common code was or is, who it was for and what role it was intended to play, we seem to have let side our commitments to live by it. Deterioration of such a code is part of what makes a visit to a struggling island museum seem uplifting, even with a slanting floor and a leaky roof. As I've looked forward to preaching on Remembrance Sunday this year, I've wanted to preach on a code of honor. I know this is something our military seeks to instill. It is something I have observed in many of you who serve in the military, but also many who serve in civil service in helping professions, in political life, in staff and volunteer roles here at the church, and in other vocations or volunteerism that in the broadest sense seek to help our nation fulfill its ideals. The text I came upon that fits a code of honor is Psalm 15. It is written in plain language, not poetic like so many of the Psalms are. And it begins with a question that a priest or a doorkeeper, even an usher, might ask a worshiper who sought to enter into the temple in Jerusalem. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? The question goes. Who may dwell in your holy hill? The pilgrim or worshiper would then respond with ten answers. The first three are positive. Those who walk blamelessly. Those who do justice. Those who speak the truth from their heart. The next three are behaviors that we would refrain from. Who may enter your temple? Those who do not slander with their tongue. Those who do no evil to their fellow human beings. Those who, when their kindred or closest of friends behave badly, do not pass over the misdeed in silence because of their kinship or friendship. The next two responses switch back to the positive. Who shall enter your temple? Those who honor people who fear the Lord. And those who stand by an oath they have made to their fellow human beings. And the final two are again practices to avoid. 
those who do not lend money at interest for the profit will come at the expense of the poor. And those who do not declare the innocent guilty in order to receive a bribe. Now the Bible itself is full of characters who live up to codes of honor, often at great cost. Just to mention a few of them, the wives of Lamech, who refused to go along with his braggadocia and sort of male celebration of violence that he has committed. Joseph's brother Judah and his daughter-in-law Tamar, a long and complicated story you'll have to look up when you get home. The Hebrew midwives who disobey Pharaoh's deadly order to kill all boy babies. Joseph's refusal of a sexual advance from the wife of Potiphar. Miriam, the sister of Moses, another long and complicated one. The daughters of Zelophehad, you may not have heard of them, but look them up during the book of Numbers. King David, not always honorable, but who early on passes two opportunities to take King Saul's life. Uriah the Hittite, who refuses to sleep with his own wife while his troops are in the field of battle. And Queen Esther, who arises to serve her people and save them from genocide in such a time as this. When we turn to the New Testament, we continue to find people who follow a strong code of honor. The Syrophoenician woman who gets Jesus to move from focusing on the lost sheep of the house of Israel to all people by the end of the Great Commission. Christ who prays, let this cup pass from me in the Garden of Eden. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays that. But then he follows by saying, not my will, but thine be done. The Roman centurion who doing crucifixion duty confesses who Christ is. And Paul and Peter who each change their minds in a significant way and act on that change which leads to the spread and internationalization of Christianity. In one way or another, each of these plus many more define or follow codes of honor in a world that is not much more or less complicated than ours. I have seen many of you in this congregation live up to the codes of honor to which you are committed in your work, in your faith, in your dealings with people here at the church, in your exercise of citizenship, of public service, of political or military life. I realize that I'm probably being a little bit naive, for I also may be the last person in the world you want to come to or let know that you violated a code of honor when you have. And we are all aware of people who violate their codes and harm others deeply by doing so. And most of us have at some point. But I have also been privileged to see some of you confess and repent, sometimes even to me, 
to call yourselves and one another to higher expectations and often to meet them. Such confession and repentance is one of the highest ways we can affirm the codes to which we have been committed, taken vows, sworn an oath. As we remember veterans this weekend, and especially those who have given their lives, we don't have to do a tour through a quaint, quaint museum of an island in the Atlantic Ocean to see examples of people who live by a code of honor. They are near us. They are in our family. They are in our congregation. They are in our neighborhood. They are in our places of work. They are among the friends with whom we share emotional support and recreation. In the midst of such a company, we can develop and live up to the code of honor that is given to us by God that is tailor-made to the life we live, to the responsibilities we have, to the gifts that God has given us. We can do it here and now. Those who do these things, the psalmist closes, shall never be moved. Amen.